You're listening to the Transformative Podcast brought to you by the Research Center for the History of Transformations at the University of Vienna. Hello and welcome to the Transformative Podcast with me, Yanis Panagiotidis, the Scientific Director of RESET, the Research Center for the History of Transformations at the University of Vienna. In today's episode, I'm very happy to welcome Julia Jurczuk, who's a Senior Lecturer of History of Södertörn University in Stockholm, Sweden. Hi, Julia. Hi, Yanis. Very glad to have you here today. In her research, Julia deals with questions of religion, memory and nation building in contemporary Ukraine. I think it's no exaggeration to say that the situation of religion and churches in Ukraine is complicated already before the war and exacerbated by the war. For those of our listeners not familiar with the ins and outs of Ukrainian religious affairs, let us start with a sketch of the basic constellation. Which churches are there in Ukraine and how did they come into being? Yeah, it is a very complicated question, exactly as you said, because up to 2018, there were de facto four main churches in Ukraine, and they were the Ukrainian Orthodox Church of Moscow Patriarchate, which continued to be dependent on uh, the Russian Orthodox Church. Then there was the Ukrainian Orthodox Church of the Kievan Patriarchate, which was established in 1992 by those members of the clergy who diverged from the Moscow Patriarchate. And then uh, there was also the Ukrainian Autocephalous Orthodox Church, which originated in 1921 in parallel with the Ukrainian aspirations in 1917-1922 to build an independent state. So it was very much connected to the national project. There is also the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, which was formed as a result of the Brest Agreement of 1590 between the Holy See and the Ruthenian Orthodox Church. So these were the main churches in Ukraine. And in 2018, just at the end of the year, and officially it was already the Orthodox Christmas in 2019, when a Ukrainian Orthodox Church, majority of which was Kiev Patriarchate, they got the independence document, which is called Thomas from Ecumenical Patriarchate in Constantinople, and by this it became the independent Ukrainian Orthodox Church. So that is why we can say that up to 2018 it was more maybe clear with these four churches, and then when the Ukrainian Orthodox Church became independent, then we can say that the Kiev Patriarchate and the Autocephalous Church they kind of merged together and they became one Orthodox Church of Ukraine. And do we know at all which of these churches commands more members? Is there any way of measuring that? If we measure the parishes, then we can say that Moscow Patriarchate has most parishes. But then it's uh, like every church uh, is counted. And sometimes the one church can maybe have uh, just dozen of church goers. So it's uh, very difficult to say. But I tend to read like the service and the statistics made by the sociologists and how the people themselves answer to which church they belong. If we look at the survey from 
2018, when we had these many churches, right? We had these four main churches. Then it was like this. It was like about 29% of people declared themselves that they belonged to Kiev Patriarchate. And then about 13%, so twice as little, they said that they belonged to Moscow Patriarchate. And then about 0.3% only said that they belong to Ukrainian autocephalous church. Many of the respondents said that they are just orthodox. So it was about 23% and they said they are just orthodox. This is pretty much how this orthodox belonging looks like in Ukraine. I must say that this very drastic difference between the people who say that they belong to Kyiv Patriarchate or to Moscow Patriarchate, it comes from 2014. So with the annexation of Crimea and the war in Donbass, more and more people declared declared themselves as belonging to Kyiv Patriarchate. And actually, a lot of churches, like parishes from Moscow Patriarchate, then transferred to Kyiv Patriarchate. So it was like a movement from both directions, from the direction of churchgoers, from the believers, and also from uh, the parishes and the priests who joined the Kyiv Patriarchate. From what you're saying, we're already getting a sense how politicized this question of which patriarchate you belong to has become in Ukraine. And one can only imagine that this has become worse with the full-scale invasion after 24th of February 2022. So maybe you could tell us a bit about the political implications of this fragmented church landscape, in particular the role of the Moscow loyal church during the war. I believe that it's quite usual that religion is quite politicized, especially at the context of great transformations. And we have many transformations in Ukraine for this last 30 years, right? We had two major revolutions, like the Orange Revolution, then the Euromaidan Revolution or Revolution of Dignity in 2014. So it was always very turbulent times. And of course, with the war, everything became more politicized and the church issues and the religion included. I think that even the fact what I mentioned before, that many people changed their kind of congregation or confession just because of the war and because they missed some reactions from the church they belong to, like Moscow Patriarchate, at times which are the most difficult times. I think that this is also something what is seen now in the circles of many priests who belong to Moscow Patriarchate, who criticize this church just for the lack of reaction to the war and if the reaction came, it was too late. Just this summer, there was the Council of Moscow Patriarch Church in Ukraine, and they really tried to produce some um, united narrative against the war and uh, condemning Russian Orthodox Church. But this was all too late, as many of the believers and even the priests inside this church say that it's too late and it's still not clear what kind of relationship this church has with the Russian Orthodox Church. Because now Moscow Petrogate in Ukraine, they say just that they have no relations, like they are church for themselves, like they are independent church. But then the question is, how are they different then from the Ukrainian Orthodox Church that got independence in 2000? 2019. So this is a lot of very unclear questions. And these questions are unclear even for many priests. 
It's not only for us, the researchers, it's also for the priests. They have all these questions, how they should relate to all this. Can you say something about the positive role that the Orthodox Church of the Kiev Patriarchate or, well, maybe even of the Moscow Patriarchate plays in society during the war and making society resilient during the war? Does it play an important role at all? Yeah, sure. The church plays a very important role, like this uh, sense-giving mechanism, right? They just uh, are very important, first of all, for the believers, the people who believe in God. This is very important, and it gives uh, strength and uh, hope. And uh, I think that uh, times of war, religion really gives meaning and hope, not only for the believers, but also for those who are maybe not uh, going to church very often, but still They believe in some higher transcendent highness, so to say, so that they really hope for something better in this very, very horrible times for Ukraine. So this is for sure very important. And just institutionally, the churches, and I speak about both, they have this basis to be the main provider for those who need help or who need support, like material support. So they take the role of these charity organizations at times of war. It is relevant for both churches and for all the churches in general who are in Ukrainian crown. So this is something what also shows that this charity work is important, not only this spiritual support. Do we know anything about the role that the church plays under occupation in the Russian-occupied parts of Ukraine, perhaps from accounts that we got from the territories that were occupied and then liberated, like Kherson? Yeah, because the church generally in Ukraine has one of the highest numbers in terms of people's trust. So uh, if we ask uh, which institution in Ukraine is most trustworthy, people tend to say that it's the church. So the church is one of these uh, very, very trustworthy institutions. And that is why even occupational authorities, they use these churches as kind of platforms to establish some kind of relations with the local population, because the church then is this institution that can give trust even to the occupational authorities. But on the other hand, those priests, those churches who don't want to collaborate with the occupational authorities, then they become the first targets for persecutions and they get imprisoned even. So I think that this is very important question because many of the priests who don't collaborate or who belong to the churches, like not to the Moscow Patriarchate, they become the targets for the occupational authorities. I mentioned in the introduction that you study the interplay of religion, memory and nation building in Ukraine. And in this research, you use the concept of the patrimonial church. What is this in a nutshell? And how does this concept relate to the process of a nation building that you're dealing with? When I started my research, I started with memory and everything what is going on in memory politics, memory work in Ukraine. I could see that the churches were one of the main actors in this process of like memory building. Then I wanted to see more how this memory work is done by the churches. And then I came to this very big topic, a big issue of how the 
churches present themselves to their believers and to others, like everyone who is in Ukraine, as these very powerful actors in nation building, indeed. Because very often when we read research on Ukraine, on the religion in Ukraine, we can see kind of that this tendency that a lot of researchers see or used to see Ukrainian Orthodox Church of Kiev Patriarchate as kind of a political project because it was from the very beginning very like national because it became even possible just because Ukraine became independent. It's the same kind of interpretation if we speak about Autocephalus Church because it was also just during this short period of Ukrainian independence or the struggles for independence in the uh, 1920s that this church became possible. So we can see very clearly this political struggle for independence and the church struggle for independence. And very often the researchers don't see that Russian Orthodox Church, it's also political. And Moscow Patriarchate in Ukraine, they also have political agenda. And this is not like only Kiev Patriarchate, which was so political, and the Moscow Patriarch was only about spirituality. And when I looked at the memory work of these churches, I could clearly see that all these churches have political agenda and they present themselves in a specific way if it comes to their self-representations and their representation of their past. And what was clear that they presented themselves as the most traditional, and then I use this concept of a patrimony, like patrimonial, the most patrimonial church for Ukrainians. And they both trace their history from 988 when the Kiev Rus was baptized. And then I was just looking how these official discourses around the Christianization of Kiev Rus evolved during the 1980s, then 90s and 2000s. And I could clearly see that Russian Orthodox Church in 80s, in the celebration of the millennium of Christianization of Kiev Rus, used this narrative of the unity of Slavic people, and then orthodoxy is this kind of unifying element. And then the same narrative was used by Moscow Patriarchate all the years in Ukraine. So it was the this kind of uh, narrative about the Orthodox world and this unity of Belarus, Russia and Ukraine. And then when we come to 90s and then we have this Kiev Patriarchate, they use quite a different narrative. They also show themselves as the most traditional, the patrimonial religion and church for Ukraine, but they show their difference, that they are separate from Russia or any other Slavic people because they have their own history and their own language and their own tradition of orthodoxy. Can you finally say something about how this project of a distinctive Ukrainian orthodoxy relates to the Greek Catholic Church, which is also kind of a distinctive Ukrainian church and religion? How do these two churches get along? I must say that these two churches get along pretty well, especially after Euromaidan revolution and after 2019 when Ukrainian Orthodox Church got this Thomas, this church independence. I think that the very decisive moment was exactly Euromaidan revolution. And both Kiev Patriarchate and Greek Catholics, they were very much present in the revolution. They were very much present on the street and then they were 
one of the main actors who were dealing with the memory of the protesters killed during the revolution. So it was really the moment when they kind of um, saw themselves as actors who are working for the same kind of aim than uh, some um, confessional differences. So I think that this is something what is still seen up to today. Julia Jurczuk, thank you very much. And it's goodbye from me, Janis Panayotidis. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to the Transformative Podcast produced by Redset in Vienna. Wir sind die Wir sind die